Genesis 22, after these things, God tested Abraham. Now mark that down. It's a test. Everything you're about to read is a test from God. He tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Say faith. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I've had people tell me over the years that the Bible is boring and that's why they don't read it. And I said, you only think it's boring because you haven't read it. The Bible is not boring. If the Bible was fully displayed uh, on, on, on a movie screen and it was just given visually, the detail that it's given with words, uh, it would be rated R because the Bible is intense. And perhaps there are no more intense moments in an individual's life in the Old Testament than this reality of Abraham, the father of the faith, being called of God to lay down the son of promise, Isaac. And I am not going to get um, deep into this today. We're going to run through it. But while we run through it, I, I am going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you in, to intentionally consider either past seasons, a present season, or prepare for a future season where the sovereign God of heaven, who is Lord over all, might audaciously, as we see it, put his finger on something in our life and ask the question, do you trust me enough to release this to me? We love to theorize about faith. Faith is awesome to sing about. Faith is gloriously good to preach and to teach about. I love writing blogs on faith, man, and just 130 characters or whatever it is. I like to tweet about faith. Feels so good, feels so spiritual. 
But God doesn't call us to blog about it, tweet about it, sing about it, or preach about it. He calls us to live it. And sometimes radical faith is the only option when God is working in our lives in ways that no other human being can understand, but it becomes between you and God, and he's saying, do you trust me enough to release this to me? So let's journey through this as Abraham is the father in this passage. Isaac is the son, but we're going to look at it through the lens of Abraham as a father and how God led him. So first of all, in the first two verses, look with me. We've got a father's faith being evaluated in a time of testing. And this is where we start seeing Abraham's resilient faith placed on, disp on display. And it comes through this unexpected test in verse number one. It says, after these things... God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and look at Abraham, snap to attention, as if he's listening to, for the Lord's voice every day. Here I am, God, here I am. Now remember, Abraham's not 25, he's not a young daddy. He's not 55, he's not a middle-aged daddy. He's not 75, he's not an old daddy. He's somewhere between 110 and 120 years old. And he waited 100 years to receive the son of promise who he named uh, Isaac. And so Isaac is somewhere in this passage between probably 15 and 20 years old. He's not a little baby boy, but he's a teenage boy. And Abraham has already displayed up to this uh, point in his life what it means to live by faith. He had left his father's family. He had left his homeland. He had gotten rid of all of his idols because it's, isn't this just like God? When God wanted to establish faith on the earth through a particular individual, he picked a pagan named Abram in Ur of the Chaldees, picked an idol worshiper and said, you're mine, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you, more descendants than you can ever imagine, and all the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed uh, through you. Now get up, leave your family, leave your country, leave your homeland, and go to a place that I'll tell you about once you start going. And Abraham did it. Abraham had been walking in faith with this God that revealed himself to Abraham uh, for probably 35 to 40 years. And his record, though it wasn't flawless, it was so bent towards wanting to honor Yahweh with everything that was in him. And it was after these things that God tested Abraham. The fact that you passed yesterday's test doesn't keep you from tomorrow's test. God will not let you lose your spiritual elasticity. He is going to stretch you. He doesn't want you to hold on to an old shape that was good enough faith-wise to win previous battles. He's stretching you towards the next test. And at the end of that test, there's great glory for him and there's amazing revelation for you. So go a little further. Verse 2. This test was not only going to be unexpected after he had passed all these other tests, but it's an unbelievable test. Listen to what, what God says to Abraham. Take your son, your only son, Isaac. He had had another son by Hagar, but this was the son of promise. And in that sense, it was Abraham, Isaac was Abraham's only promised son. Take the one you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now friends, later on um, in the law, it will be clearly revealed that God does not approve of human sacrifices. But Abraham did not have the written law. He did not have written revelation from God. He had communication from God. 
He spoke with God regularly and had developed a life of faith. But now this God that he had trusted, this God that he was really beginning to know after 40 years, this God who had amazingly blessed him and, and strengthened Abraham's face and, a faith and taught him how not to lean on the flesh. Now God says to him, maybe some 14 to 20 years after giving Isaac to Abraham in his old age, God says, in essence, now I want you to give him back to me. It would have been an emotional test. He says, take Isaac, the son whom you love. Notice how even in the, in the verbalization of it, God is pulling on Abram's heart. It would have affected Abram's will. He said, Abraham, take the son that you love and I want you to go to the land of Moriah. So everything that was being said couldn't be left in the realm of theoretical. God wanted to see, wanted Abraham to find out the level of Abraham's own faith. And the only way that God can test our faith is to test our obedience. So he's giving him something to do. So Abraham couldn't sit back there and say, yeah, I trust you with Isaac, Lord. I trust you with Sarah. I trust you with all of my stuff. God called Abraham and he said, I'm going to test your will on this. I'm going to give you something to do. And ultimately the test affected Abraham's faith. Because he says, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, why does that test his faith? Because God promised that Abraham would have the son and the son of promise, whose name was Isaac, would be the one through whom multiple, countless descendants would eventually come. So God is asking Abraham to commit in obedience to a plan that seems to go against everything God had promised through Isaac. So he's not just saying, take the son that you love and go. He's saying, take the son who represents everything I've ever said to you. Take my promise and give it back to me. So this was a test like none other. Very quickly, can, can, I, want, I want us to think not just about ourselves. I want us to take a moment and just think about the people around us. Because we've been in, enculturated and we've been conditioned as American 21st century Christians. We've actually been conditioned to not expect God to do anything radical. We, we expect God to be responsible, we, we, predictable tame and domesticated and within an approachable and reasonable set of boundaries through which he will operate with us give us full explanations ahead of time and at the very end he's going to wrap it with a little ribbon and blow us kisses that's that's the god that most most christians in america serve the predictable fictional god that we've created we don't think much about the god who who has the sovereign audacity as the lord of the universe to look at us and say, I'm gonna test your obedience. Will you release that to me, which I require? You see, it would have seemed excruciatingly, excruciatingly cold-hearted if I'm Abraham. It would have made me think, what, what, what kind of God am I dealing with here? It seems cold-hearted for me to sacrifice my son. And again, it would have appeared contradictory to his previously revealed will that Isaac was to be the son of blessing. Think about this, and some of you don't have to think hard about it because you've been there. It would have made Abraham feel absolutely powerless within the context of what God was initiating and doing. 
You ever been in a season like that where the God didn't stop the thing or God ordained the thing and the thing that is happening is so big you feel like you're about that small and powerless. Abraham would have gone through that. By the way, it, at least as recorded in scripture, this assignment, this test came with no explanations, no reassurances, nor any new promises. In other words, it was raw command requiring raw obedience and faith. And God never said, hey, later on in the chapter, you're going to find out that I don't really mean it. I'm just testing you. Abraham didn't have the luxury that we have of reading through it. This was a dad laying down everything because the God that he honored was requiring it. Um, I'll just say this before moving on. This command and this assignment on Abraham's life would not have been supported by a single person if Abraham had dared to share it with them. If he had shared it with them, there would not have been a single person in his family a single person in his community, a single person anywhere in the kingdom that would have said, yeah, that, that sounds like God. That, that's probably the will of the Lord. Everybody, had they been invited to speak to it, would have said, you've missed it, Abraham. You're, you're missing it. You're crazy. You're insane. You're, you're not hearing from God. Everybody would have said, that's not God, but it was. It was God. Why do I even bother bringing that up? Because I remember being in a stage of my Christianity when somebody would bring to me some radical word they got or some calling they got, and I felt like it was my responsibility to throw buckets of water on their roaring fire. So that doesn't sound like God. Why don't you be prudent? Because God is responsible. God's a good conservative Southern evangelical. Don't you know that? Sometimes, friends... It's God and it doesn't look like God. God reserves the right to appear other to you than what your conceptions of him might be. And it's important to remember that when testings come. And so going a little bit further in verses three, four, and five, what's Abram gonna do? Let's pretend that we don't know, but we're going to see a father's faith displayed, put on total eternal display in the word of God in times of obedience. We, listen, if we don't obey it, we really don't believe it. Real faith is always attached to obedience. Um, we can say that we believe it, but the kind of belief that God requires is not an intellectual nod. It is a release of the will. It's an obedience. And listen, that's easy when the test is easy, but this is no easy test for Abraham and some of the ones we face in life are not easy. And so what does it look like? So we're gonna see him here with what I call reverent faith. It means Abraham is going to revere God more than he reveres anything else. And so we see in verse number three, this is what it looks like when he obeys without hesitation. In verse number three, it says, Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place. He started heading towards the place of Moriah, the place that God had told him. First of all, I think it's really cool that a dude who's like 115 years old is chopping wood and loading up livestock for a three-day journey. I love that about Abraham. Um, more power to him. That's not me, amen. 
But if you, if, you, if you walk through that verse, it just reads so matter-of-factly. It's almost devoid of emotion. It's, it's like the writer removes all emotion out of it and, it and fixates on the obedience of his will. It would be probably a grave misstep to assume Abraham was like just cool, chill, casual about this thing. I think with every step, he's rising early in the morning. That speaks of his willingness to obey without hesitation. He gets the word one day, and in the next day, he's not dragging his feet. He's not making excuses. He's not asking for God to, to, to do something differently. It speaks of this consecrated level of obedience where on the inside, he may be completely churning and struggling emotionally, but his will is engaged. It's an awesome thing when we get to the place in our journey with Jesus where we are so surrendered to the Holy Spirit that we can acknowledge our emotions without obeying our emotions. Uh, if, if you've been raised in, with a view of a Christianity that should not have any emotion, you're going to have a whole lot of problem with your Bible because there is emotion in the lives of believers and including the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There's emotion all throughout Scripture. But what we're never encouraged or instructed to do is to make our emotions the, the, the engine that drives the train. If anything, the emotions need to be the caboose and let a, a Holy Spirit-sanctified will and obedience drive the train. You're going to feel some things, but your feelings are not always going to align with what God is saying and what God's doing. And so uh, Abraham, he gets up early the next morning, he chops the wood, he obeys without hesitation. Verse number four, we see him obeying in the face of uncertainty. It says, on the third day of the journey... Abraham lifts up his eyes, and there it is. He sees it from afar. So three days. I want you to put yourself in Abe's sandals for a minute. He's journeying toward Mount Moriah, and every day he's feeling it. He's walking with his son, and his son clearly, as we see later, has no clue. And so imagine the wrestling match. Abraham knows what's going to happen. He knows what God, God is saying. He can't communicate it to anybody, even Isaac at this point. And so every step, every day, the test becomes more intense, more real. By the way, there were three days of journeying and no intervention from God. No, no stoppage. No affirmation, Abraham, you're doing great. It seems that the whole three days of journey would have been silence from heaven. Abraham might have been praying, but we have no recorded word that God spoke. And so three days off, what, what could he be feeling as that mountain came into view? And, and God begins to say, there, go there. That's where I'm sending you. Footnote here. There was another father who on the third day looked at a piece of land and said, that's where my son will die. Genesis chapter one, the creation on the third day, the dry land comes into view. And Father God, looking at his creation, looks down across the expanse and fixates on this little sliver that we call the Middle East and a land that is now called Israel. And there on a singular outcropping of land, there was a place where his son was appointed to die. And Abraham in the same kind of moment, looks up at a, a spot of land and sees the place where Isaac's going to be taken from him. Sometimes it's better to be ambushed. Sometimes it's better not knowing ahead of time. 
Can you think of how difficult it would have been for some of us in the room had God told us a week ahead of time about that thing that was going to happen to us? It's sometimes the Lord's mercy that he doesn't tell us ahead of time, but instantly when he allows something in our life or ordains something of a test in our life, as painful it might be, though he did not forewarn us, he will not leave us alone in that thing. He will come and enter into it in the moment that the test begins to happen and materialize, and that's what was going to happen here. And so in the face of uncertainty, he just kept walking, obeying the command that God had given him more than he obeyed his thoughts, his emotions. But listen, unbelievably, it'll get harder here in a moment. In verse 5, Abraham obeys by only trusting in God's word. Verse number 5, it says, Abraham says to his servants, these young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy are going to go over there and we're going to worship. And then look at these words. And we'll be back. We will come again to you. Now, I know much has been made about this. I'm sure you, many of you have heard a message on this passage before. But I don't want us to undervalue what Abram's saying here. He has none of the rest of this chapter at his disposal. He does not know what God is going to do. But listen, his confidence in his God is so strong that he knows that as he intends to obey God by slaying Isaac, he knows that that will not be the period on the end of the sentence. He knows that there will be a dot, 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 a comma, or an exclamation point coming from the Almighty soon thereafter. He says to them, we're going to go there and worship. It's amazing to me how Abraham approaches all of this with a heart in full trust and surrender to God so that his painful, excruciating obedience is described by him as being an act of worship to God. Some of you are in the room today and your worship counted more than mine this morning. Let me tell you why. Because you're worshiping through pain. You're worshiping through delays and denials and uncertainties and abandonments and losses. You're worshiping through a test that you're in the middle of right now or maybe after a test that you still haven't made sense of from before. And so when you came today, you didn't come glibly, you didn't come cavalier, you didn't come to play around, you came pressing through something. And God looks at that and you're feeling all jacked up saying, I messed up, I'm hurting, I don't know what to do, I'm confused. And God's saying, I see your worship, daughter. I see your worship, son. You're feeling all the brokenness and the ickiness and the discomfort at what's going on. And the Lord's saying, look at her praise me. Look at her worship me. Look at him keep pressing in. Look at him lifting his hands. Look at the tears streaming down that face. Look at their adoration of me when I know they don't have all the answers. And don't you ever let your flesh or the enemy tell you that because you're worshiping imperfectly or with questions or uncertainties or even doubts and skepticism, don't you let your flesh or the enemy telling you that God swats that down because it's not up to his taste. He loves it when we come broken. He loves it when the only thing that might be motivating us outwardly is just, I, I want to honor and I want to obey him and I don't know what he's doing, but I'm just assured in my heart that there is not a period on the end of this, of this present sentence, but there's coming a new chapter. And he tells these guys, I just, I don't know, sometimes I see things in a cinematic thing. Um, I see this kind of 
letterboxed on a screen. Isaac's 15. He's standing with Abraham. He's just excited to be doing something with dad on Father's Day. They're going to go climb a mountain together. And, and, and the servants are just waiting for their next instruction. I just see Abraham looking over, almost with a Schwarzenegger voice saying, I'll be back. Now, I'm going up the mountain. We're going to worship God. We will be back here shortly. It's just a statement. He did, and I love it. He's expressing confidence with God, and he has zero understanding about how God's going to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. That's faith. Sometimes faith is a, a simply a refusal to panic. You may not feel strong, but that doesn't mean that it's not faith. Jesus didn't say you need to have, you know, a pumpkin-sized thing of faith. He said a, a mustard seed will work. And sometimes that's all we've got. Verses 6 through 10. Here's the father's faith. His, Abraham is a father, a father's faith applied in times of uncertainty. This is relentless faith because this is where it gets excruciating. I got to give you this. This is a word for some in the room. Our uncertainty should never interfere with our obedience. Uncertainty does not always permit, permit us to bail out. Matter of fact, when, when you enter a season of ordained testing from God, you will experience uncertainty because he's purifying your trust. He's taking away everything that we are tempted to lean on. Those are the most intense seasons of faith building where he removes everything that we might lean upon and we find ourselves standing open and naked before the one with whom we have to do. And there's nothing to hide behind. So Abraham takes the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he takes the, took in his hand the fire for the burnt offering and the knife, the very knife he knows he's about to use on his son and both of them go together so Abraham's acting in faith steps methodically obedience he takes the wood obedience he lays it upon Isaac so Isaac was at least old enough to carry the wood on his back up the hill probably in his mid-teens to maybe even as old as 20 years old he takes the fire in his hand and he says Isaac me and you are going up the mountain each progressive step was more difficult than the previous step and it serves as a picture, a potential opportunity. It reminds us that every step of the way, Abraham could have said, I can't do this, I can't do it. Every step of the way became increasingly more clear that he was about to have to do the unthinkable, the thing he didn't want to do, and yet he never bailed out. He didn't even protest, not at least outwardly that we have recorded. But here's where, to me, it, it would have been the greatest temptation to say, I can't do this, God, and that's verse 7, when the tough questions start getting asked. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, Abraham says, I'm right here, son. He says, I see the fire, I see the wood, but dad, where's the, where's the lamb that we're gonna offer up as a sacrifice? He's, he's completely ignorant of what's happening. There's innocence in his word. The, as a father, when you know your child doesn't comprehend what God is doing and there's no words that you have to reassure or explain. It's, it's, it's one thing for God's test of obedience to negatively hit me. It's another thing when I see it hitting those for whom I'm responsible and who I love. That's the test. When the will of God creates tension or difficulty, 
for those that don't get a vote like Isaac. And so verses eight through 10, we just find out that though the uncertainty will come and the tough questions are asked, where's the lamb, dad? Where's the lamb? The answer is, Isaac, it's you. That, you're the sacrifice, but Abraham can't say that, so what does he say? He just lets his uncertainty kneel at the feet of faith, and he says, God will provide for himself the land for a burnt off, lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. They came to the place of which God had told them. Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood on it, and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. There was nothing left that could be done. This was the assignment. And Abraham, he releases faith through his words. He says to Isaac, God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide the lamb. But it's not enough to say his works validated his faith. He laid Isaac down. I, I would just, I would risk this um, guess. Um, at some point, Isaac would have had to have been told what was going on. I, Dad, why are, you, why are you having me sit down? Son, I need to tell you something. Our God has sent me up here to sacrifice you tears flowing down his face Isaac's heart probably pounding out of his chest at this point we have no record that Isaac and God had a personal relationship with each other he's having to trust his dad he's having to trust his dad's faith about what God was saying and there was no way for this cup to pass from Isaac so he did the will of his father and he submits and surrenders. Isaac is bound up by Abram. He's laid on the wood, and he's about to be killed. So here's where whew, we exhale, because Abraham is fulfilled in perfect obedience through faith, the laying down of the thing in his life that was most precious. I want to be clear here. I know the risk in a message like this is to cause people to be afraid of God. I understand that risk. But I am trusting that God will vindicate his own name to you. I'm just telling you, this is what happened. So I, I, I counsel you, don't leave here thinking that God is some sadistic divine being who wants to play with us, steal what is most important to us, and leave us helpless. That's not the heart of the Father. But I'm also not going to tell you that God is this eternal chuckling grandfather that pats us on the head and hands us sweets every time we come into his presence. Those, both of those extremes are completely unbiblical. So he intervenes, verses 11 and 12. This is a father's faith being matured when understanding comes. God intervenes, you know the story. The angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, it's sudden, it's intense. He's, he's interrupting. Abraham's hand is up ready to bring it across the throat of his son as he slays him on the altar. And, and the angel of the Lord, who we find out in a moment is actually God himself, a pre-incarnate vision of God. He says, Abram, Abram. And Abraham says, I'm here. And the words, <laughs> the only words of rescue, 
don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't kill your son. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear me. You fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God took Abram to the furthest extent of his faith. Abraham had a lot of faith stories with God. God never wanted Isaac. He wanted all of Abraham. And that's the test. The test is never about the thing. It isn't. The test is always about wanting all of us. Every part of us. Isaac represents that thing that we struggle the most to entrust or release to God by faith. And everybody in the room has at least one. It may very well be our children. That when the time comes, we, we have to acknowledge as precious as they are. Amy and I, I, I remember when the kids were, were in utero. They were still in the womb. And I remember over both of our kids just praying the words, they're yours, Lord, they're yours, Lord, they're yours, Lord. It's a, it's a, it sounds like a really super spiritual prayer. Look at the Lyles. The Lyles are surrendering their children to Jesus before they're ever born. Um, and, and then God calls you to actually do it. There were times uh, in Landon's young life we thought he was going to die. I don't have time to go into it, but there were a couple of times. There was one time in particular he, he was 10 minutes away from death from anaphylactic shock, from ant bites, three ant bites. There was another time where he was experiencing seizures that we never did find out what the cause was. Amy and I are convinced at this point that it was the enemy trying to snuff out his life. As a dad raising a daughter and knowing that some individual is going to be sent by God one day to come and claim this lovely young lady as his bride, I've been, I've been giving her to the Lord since she was eight, knowing that one day some guy is going to be her husband. Some very incredibly blessed and lucky guy is going to become... <laughs> her husband she's a champ and uh, those prayers when they were babies are easy to pray but the process is there's a call to dying to yourself maybe it's not your kids it could be a host of other things all I'm saying is this is that uh, um, God is worthy of us trusting him with Isaac He's worthy of our obedience. So ultimately, God stays Abraham's hand, and I'm done. Here's where the revelation comes, and this is, this is something that we need to remember at the beginning of the test, that when God tests and stretches our faith and we obey and we follow and we, we don't give in to the impulses of everything that could derail it, at the end of it, we get revelation. What was the revelation from Abraham? God said, Abraham, I now know I have all of you because you were willing to give me your Isaac. And the Bible says, Abraham's eyes were opened and there was a ram caught in the thicket. It had been there the whole time. Abraham didn't see it until revelation came. And that ram was going to be the sacrifice, not Isaac. You see, God always knew what God was doing. Abraham didn't. 
but God always did. And ultimately, that is a place of faith that we all need to get to. Lord, I love you. You're glorious. I know some things about you. I have no clue what you're doing right now. I'm going to tell you, I don't even like what's going on right now. But I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you know what you're doing. And I will worship you. I will praise you. I will obey you. I will follow you. I will testify of you. I will preach about you. I will sing about you. I will serve you. I will be in your presence. I will not run from you. I will not uh, blaspheme your holy name. I'm going to press in because if you want my Isaac, then my Isaac belongs to you. But if you choose to leave my Isaac with me, you've got a ram caught in a thicket that I can't see right now. But when you open my eyes after obedience, I'll see what you've provided and I'll continue to worship you then. That's where he wants to bring us, brothers and sisters. Will you stand to your feet with me this morning? You, you, you asked him to build your faith. You asked him to strengthen you. You asked him to make himself more intimate to you. You asked to hear his voice. You said you want to see the wondrous works of God. You wanted to behold him in the land of the living. And we always imagine that when we pray those awesome prayers, that he's just going to send the blessing cloud. And the blessing cloud's going to descend out of the heavens and there's strength and there's insight, there's prophetic gifting and revelation, there's love and love and love and I'll take some grace and some mercy and some ministry anointing and some financial breakthrough and we, we, we wait for the blessing cloud to come down and we just, that's the way we think. That's not the way God operates. And what he really wants us to find out is, hey, I don't mind giving you any of that. Those are good things you're praying but what I really want is two things. I want you to know me and trust me. And I want you to come to the realization that I have all of you. I, he wants me to know if he has all of me. He already knows. He wants me to know. He can't bring that to pass. He can't give me that blessing unless he takes me to the most extreme testing. And so some of you are in a season, you're getting your prayers answered. It just doesn't feel like it. You're getting your, you're getting your, you're getting that blessing you prayed for, but it's coming wrapped in a burdensome package. But he's waiting for you to open it up. He's waiting for you to unwrap the whole thing. And there in the midst of it is going to be whatever the parallel is to the ram caught in the thicket. Even when Isaac is taken and not left with us, that is not the end of the story. There's revelation about the goodness of God in the midst of that. And some of you in this room, I want to applaud you, not flatter you, but I want to honor you. You have kept pressing into Jesus through the most impossible circumstances that lesser men and women would have caved in long ago. And here you are today, and you're still seeking, and you're still thirsting, and you're still hungering, you may still have questions, but the questions you have have not wiped away the truth that you know, that he is good, that he's gloriously good, and that he's for you. So I'm going to invite anybody that wants to to come down front and you can pray. If it's time for you to lay Isaac down, just come and lay Isaac down. If it's come time for you to come and worship in a season after Isaac has been removed from your life, then come and worship. But I'm going to tell you, for everybody in the room, today's not the end of your story. He's writing the next chapter.
Father, in the name of Jesus, now give us the faith that I've talked about for 45 minutes. Give us that faith to see you, to treasure you, to come to that place where we can truly sing or preach or pray. You are enough, Lord. You are worthy. You are good. You are glorious. You're too incomprehensible for me to fully understand, but you've made yourself known enough for me to worship, and I love you, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.